Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into Benuda. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from Benuda as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and A, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that Jordan, that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the land from the dust of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oak which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Uh, the longer I get into parenting, the longer I'm alive, uh, the older I get, there are some stories uh, that I either heard or experienced in my childhood that uh, kind of stick with me more so than others. And uh, one of those is... Uh, one of those that particularly haunts me is a story of a family uh, that we grew up with. This family was kind of like the, um, they could have been on the cover of like an L.L. Bean catalog, you know, one of these families where you're like, they just have it together. They were pretty wealthy, nice, the kids were well behaved, uh, the dad was successful, the mom was really nice. Uh, their kids went to really good schools. They went on awesome vacations. So when social media came about, it was like, oh man, that, they, they are making me jealous right now. Uh, they had, they kind of had it all. Um, and not only that, but like they were really involved in the church. Uh, dad taught classes. And I had kind of lost touch with them. Uh, my parents kept in touch with them. And uh, about three years ago, I got a phone call uh, from my mom and said, hey, they, they're bankrupt. Uh, they literally had people from the bank in their house today tagging furniture. The bank literally owns their house and everything inside their house. Um, they have been in debt for years and no one knew. And finally, they had just not been able to pay back all the money that they owed to various lenders. And... I couldn't believe it. No one could believe it. It was just a shock to everyone. Um, how does that happen? How does something like that, that, that 
probably starts out so small and then kind of develops in secret. How does that grow? How does that problem expand? Uh, how can you become that addicted to, to money and wealth? Sorry for the light situation. Um, hey, there we go. Um, in the passage we're reading tonight, you might be wondering, what on earth... Like, are, are, yeah, what on earth does an argument that happened 6,000 years ago between nomadic herdsmen have to do with you and me? When you first read Genesis 13, right off the bat, there's not a whole lot that jumps out at you. It almost seems, it can be tempting to read Genesis 13 as kind of like, okay, this is just background details before we get to the main picture. But, but what I want us to see just briefly tonight is that this passage actually has a lot to tell us about the way we relate to God and the way we relate to the things that he gives us. Uh, And so we're going to look at two things tonight. We're going to look at what it looks like to be controlled by the things that God has made and, and what it looks like to be set free by his grace. Uh, what it looks like to be controlled by creation, things that we love, what it looks like to be set free by his grace. So let me pray for us real quick. Father, uh, Lord, as we look at your word tonight, uh, we need it. Uh, We are fearful and anxious. Lord, we see the ways uh, we have been selfish. And so, Lord, would you please open our distracted hearts that we might see your truth, and believe it, and live according to it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, just to kind of r- recap where you are uh, in Genesis, especially we missed last week. Um, if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham, Abraham went down with his family into Egypt. Uh, he lied to the Pharaoh. They almost got killed. Uh, they should have gotten killed. He should have been arrested. He basically prostituted his wife. Uh, so that his skin could be saved. And you read that narrative in Genesis 12, and you're thinking, man, like, like this guy should be in jail, and he's not. God actually had incredible mercy on Abram and delivered him out, met him in his sin, and met him with grace, and delivered him out of Egypt. And so now he is back where he had originally settled when God called him to the promised land. Um, and you can tell by the beginning of chapter 13, that, like, he's growing in wealth. I mean, it talks about him growing in silver and cattle, so, so much so that they have so much livestock and cattle that, like, him and his nephew each have herds, and he, the land they're on is, is just not big enough. And so they're kind of like, okay, there's not enough land here for our, for our livestock to live and thrive. you got to go somewhere. And, you know, Abram was the uncle. He was kind of the patriarch of the group. He could have easily said, like, hey, you're the runt. You're my nephew. You do what I tell you to do. You go take some of this land. You know, you go, you go where I tell you to. But he doesn't. He tells, he tells Lot, hey, you know what? You get first dibs. What, what land do you want? And so they divide it up. And, it, and it's interesting. Okay, so this is like a little um, literary device. Look at verse 10 real quick. It says, and Lot lifted up his eyes. That is like a clue in to tell you, like, you know, the way sometimes in movies, like, they'll, like, go, and all of a sudden, you're, like, watching a scene with multiple characters in it, and then it, like, pans, 
and now all of a sudden you're seeing that same scene through the eyes of one of the characters. That's what's going on in this passage. Now all of a sudden, Lot lifted up his eyes, and now it's kind of telling us what Lot is seeing and what Lot is believing in his heart. And in verse 10, it says he lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And then in parentheses, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, it looks like the garden of the Lord. Um, he lifted up his eyes. So, so from him, he's thinking, man, that is some lush, fertile land. I'm going to go there. It reminds me of Eden. Uh, the problem with where he chose in that Jordan Valley is that it was outside of the original parameters that God had promised Abram and his family. And, and, and so what Lot is doing, and, and that's not insignificant, what Lot is essentially doing is saying, I want to enjoy the goodness of God. I want to enjoy land like the Garden of Eden, the place where we enjoy God's presence, but I want to enjoy it without God. I kind of want to enjoy the good things that God can give me, but I want to do it according to my own terms. He wants the promises of God, but without God. Lot and Abram become really blessed with their possessions. And what we see in this passage is that Lot becomes controlled by them. His possessions become kind of what governs his decisions. In the aftermath of our friend's uh, bankruptcy, uh, it came out that uh, this family was pretty successful. Uh, the, The dad was a successful businessman. But as the course of time went on, he had some things that failed, some new ventures that did not go well, took on loans, he took on risks to keep up the lifestyle. And the reason he did that, the reason he took on those extra loans and those extra risks was because he had grown to love the comfort of their lifestyle. He'd grown to love the admiration he received because he had a lot of good things. He had a lot of nice things. Uh, He grew to love the security of that. And what began to happen was that he loved those things so much that he was willing to lie and he was willing to manipulate and he was willing to hide things even from his family just so that he could enjoy the feeling of being admired, the perception of being wealthy. The message of this passage is not that money is bad and belongings are bad, but the message is that we can so easily love those things more than God. There was an African bishop lived in the 300s named Augustine, and he said that he kind of addressed this as like the core of, of our sinful problem. The core of our sin is not that we don't love or, or that we do love, it's the core of our problem is, is that we have disordered loves. You and I were actually created to love God and to love the things he loves. But one of the effects of sin is that we love things more than the God who made those things. Our loves are disordered. And when we do that, we are actually going against the way we were created. 
We're created to love. You were meant, you were built. That's the way you were designed. Jameson and I scraped ice off of his driveway today. We couldn't find a shovel. Um, and, and what if one of you all had come up and like you're, you're walking with your backpack and I thought, you know what? Here's a UK student. They, they could help us out. I, I can't find my ice scraper, but I know if you're a freshman or sophomore, you have a shiny new iPad and that's got a good edge and we could use that to get the ice off of his windshield. And it would probably work really well, you know, but like if you were to watch someone in the parking lot or on the street getting an iPad out, to get ice off of their windshield, you would look at them like they were crazy. You should. That's a, that's a really expensive way to get ice off of your car. And in the same way, we ought to look at the things that we love more than God and say, you know what? This is crazy. This is not the way we were supposed to live. An iPad is not designed to scrape off ice. It's designed to be functional and plug into a wall without getting electrocuted, not getting water inside of it. You and I were designed, we were built for life in God, for life with God. And when we try to live apart from him, we're inviting chaos into our lives the way Lot invites chaos. Because if you continue the... Well, I think this just ran out of batteries. I'll just yell. Um, if you continue to follow Lot's life, Lot ends up almost ruining his whole family. He has family members that die because of his decision. If you keep reading on Genesis, he, this, this, this decision will continue to haunt him and his family. Lot, but here's the deal. Lot didn't sin in wanting fertile land. His sin wasn't in the fact that he wanted a good place for his animals to graze. His sin was that he wanted those things more than he trusted the promises of God. He didn't trust that God would provide, so he thought, you know what? I'm just going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to grab this. I'm going to try and have life. I'm going to try and enjoy the things of God without God. And, and so you and I have to ask this. When we're looking at this passage, we've got to ask ourselves the question, where are the areas of your life that, you are in, that you're trying to enjoy the things of God without God? Where are the areas in your life that you are loving the things God can give you more than you are loving him? When it comes to making major decisions, uh, what you're going to study, what kind of job you're going to take, uh, who you're going to be in a relationship with, where you're going to live, uh, how you're going to use your paycheck, Enjoying comfort and financial security and wealth, th those are not unimportant factors, but are, th are they becoming the only factor that's driving your decision? We live in a generation, thankfully, th that is passionate about justice in, in all areas of the world. But you can, we, we, we can so easily say that we love things like justice but, but the way we spend our time and our money might actually reveal that we love different things. Money in and of itself is not bad, but money is often the pathway to reveal what we actually love. Lot loved the idea of being secure, of having comfort. 
of a good reputation. And that led to him loving that thing more than God and inviting destruction into his life. So here's the question. If we love things more than God, if we find ourselves where Lot is, it may not be fertile land, but we may love our reputation. We may love the idea of having an awesome house or an awesome job. What do we do? You know, it's really interesting. If you look at Abram in this passage, Abram is free with his resources. It's kind of amazing. The last chapter, Abram totally screws up. This chapter, Abram has returned. He's repented to God, and it's amazing. You see him, and he had every right to tell Lot, look, hey, I got dibs. I'm the patriarch. I'm going to take the fertile land, and then you can decide. He says, no, 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 no. Lot, you can decide. Take whatever land you want. How can Abram be so free with his resources? It's no coincidence that this happens right after one of the most shameful things Abram does. Abram is able to be free with his resources. He's able to not find his identity in his wealth. He's able to, the contrast between him and Lot is Lot Abram owns a flock. He owns flocks and livestock. Lot is owned by his livestock, and he's owned by his flocks. How does Abram get that? The reason Abram can do that is because God has met him in the previous chapter in one of the lowest points of his life, and he has seen clearly that everything he has is a gift from God. And it is only by God's grace that he has any wealth, that he has any life. And, and, and as a result of that, he has nothing to prove. And that leaves him being generous. Uh, I've got a great friend who probably uh, lives this out for me better than anyone else I know. A friend of mine I went to college with, his name's Robbie. And he, uh, as I became a Christian in college, and, and he more than anyone pro- probably embodied this quality of just knowing who he was in light of God and in light of God's grace and being free to love other people. Uh, it, is, it is, and maybe you have something like this, it's so refreshing to be around someone who does not have anything to prove. Isn't it really nice to be around someone who does not have anything to prove? They are just themselves. And, and, and this is one of the ways he showed the gospel to me because he, he was someone who loved people so well was so free to admit his weaknesses, uh, was so free to welcome people, didn't feel like he had to prove something. And, and it wasn't just because he was like this really good and faithful guy that just had his life together. You know why it was? It was actually because he knew he was a total mess. And he, and he knew that God in Jesus forgives complete messes. Abram knows that in HD. He has just seen his sin so clearly and he has seen how God has forgiven him and that actually leaves him to be like free with his resources because he's seen how God has been so free with him in his grace. Where have you seen God's grace? Have you seen God's grace? Or are you afraid to admit that you need his grace? Are, are there things about you that you think that God could never forgive? Hidden sins, 
past events in your life, as you come to him, as you are, as you come to him with your sin, not the sin that you wish you had, but as you come to him with the sin that you do have, what you will find is that he is a God, like we hear in 1 John 1, 9, if we come to him with our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. And as you experience that forgiveness, as you see, you know what? This is a God who forgives sin. As you experience his grace from him through other people, that begins to change you. As you begin to see more and more the depths of your sin, the way Abram did, and as you begin to see more and more the depths of Christ's love for you, it changes you. Then and only then can you become more generous and more gracious. Do you struggle to be gracious with other people? Do you struggle to forgive other people? It's likely that you think that's the way God relates to you. It's likely that you think God is stingy with you. How can you believe that God has been generous to you? How can you know this? How do you know that God is good? You know, in the, in the first century, the Roman church was persecuted. It was not a popular thing to do. It was not popular to be a Christian in Rome in the first century. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes a letter to these people. They know people that are suffering. They know people that are about to suffer for their faith. And they're wondering, how can I know God is good? And Paul writes this to them in Romans 8. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also not along with him, graciously give us all things. See what he's saying? The reason you can know God will provide for you, the reason that you know he will not abandon you, is that he did not give up, he did not spare his own son. He gave up his own son. And so if he's willing to give up his own son, he will graciously give you everything that you need. He gave up his son. Jesus came to earth, and when he came to earth, he was tempted with all sorts of temptations. He was tempted with wealth and power in the same way that Lot and Abram were. But Jesus resisted all those temptations because he wasn't coming to gain earthly fame. He resisted those temptations because he came for you. He came to die for you. He came to die for your selfishness. He came to die for your stinginess. He came to die for your bitterness. He came to die for the things that you're even afraid to admit. Do you know that? As, as you begin to know that, that he came for you and for those things, that frees you. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. The, the more you know that, the more you can freely admit, you know what? I know I try, I try not to have it all together. I don't but I am a sinner saved by grace. That is my identity. And when that sinks down into your bones, then you can begin to trust and believe that life is actually found not in running from God, but life is found in his promises. You can begin to extend grace to that person that is hard. You can, believe, you can even begin to believe that, that God forgives the sin that's deep inside you that you're so ashamed of. You can be radically generous with your resources. You can actually begin to believe that it is better to give than to receive because God has given so much.
to you and me in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, Lord, tonight, would you reveal to us your generosity that we might enjoy you more and that we might show who you are to this world. We need you and this world needs you. And so we ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.